Sinister Myth, How Stories We Tell Perpetuate Violence. Keywords is a series of mini podcasts which unpack terms and ideas important for thinking about violence prevention. It is supported by an Ohio State Affordable Learning Exchange Grant and is created by Zoe Brigley-Thompson and Brendan Walsh. Okay, so today's keyword is internalized oppression. And we're going to talk about what's positive about the term, what's helpful, constructive. And we're also going to think about the drawbacks of the term, about how it might be weaponized in terms of perpetuating certain mythologies about people being dangerous who experience internalized oppression, and also how it might be used to justify acts of violence. So when you think of internalized oppression, what springs to mind? Yeah, I mean, thinking about how how young internalized oppression can manifest um, in my own personal experience, I know that when I was a kid, I loved to wear dresses and I loved to, you know, just dance around the house. And I think at one point I got hit with the don't act like a girl statement and I I remember from an early age just like shutting down and the idea of policing my actions became ingrained in me at a very young age. And the more I grew up, the more I realized this kind of self-policing was happening. And it, in my experience, has always been kind of a process of recognizing it, but understanding that this oppression can both kind of take root when you're young and then over the course of a lifetime, it can be recognized once you understand what the idea of self-policing is through internalized depression and recognizing the way in which society impacts an individual as opposed to inherent wrongness of certain behavior. Mm. And what you say there, it puts in mind to me a story about my own son because you know I'm trying mm-hmm. to bring him up to not have this kind of phenomenon, mm-hmm. but... It's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. I remember taking him one day to go and watch Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, he was very uncomfortable about it. I couldn't work out what it was. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, you know, what's the problem? And he told me that the kids at school, some of the boys had said it was a girl's film. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. had sunk in. He'd really taken this to heart. Mm -hmm. In spite of the fact that I tried to make him think differently about things that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a kind of social influence, which is very, very strong Mm -hmm. and quite sad to see. Yeah. Because internalized depression is a term which was created to describe the phenomenon of taking into oneself the kinds of policing that goes on. It could be in terms of sexuality Mm -hmm. or race. It could be in terms of gender or gender presentation Mm -hmm. it could be related to disability or immigrant status you know there are all kinds of internalized oppression but the point is that it's kind of taking in this negative feedback Mm -hmm. from people who are trying to police you Mm -hmm. and then self-policing right and one of the metaphors that i often talk about in class is michael foucault describes the panopticon right Mm -hmm which was this prism invented in the 19th century by Jeremy Bentham. 
And it was very disturbing because it was designed in a kind of circular structure so that the guard could stand in the middle and could actually see the prisoners all the time. Mm -hmm. At any moment, the prisoners could be being watched. They never knew if they were being watched or not. Mm -hmm. And so what happened, of course, is that because they were afraid that they might be being watched and if they did something wrong, they would be punished, Mm -hmm. they started to police themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is a kind of metaphor for internalized oppression, actually. Right, right, yeah. And I think that, like, part of the the idea of internalized um, oppression is being able to first recognize it and then understanding how positive it can be to recognize it and actually name this thing that people feel. Because once you start understanding that this self-policing is happening and this oppression that has been kind of generated by society has um, kind of manifested inside an individual, you can start to dismantle it and start to almost work against that internal pressure that was at first applied by external forces. Yes, exactly right. And so that's what's useful in a way about the term, is that it might allow an individual to recognize something that has happened to them Mm -hmm. and then consequently be able to fight against it Mm -hmm. and not value themselves through um, a particular set of social values which are about privileged identities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the hope. And there, there is the hope too that it can help other people mm-hmm. to understand how different intersectional identities you know, of, of various people experience the world differently. And to understand that if you're a white cis man you know, heterosexual, that your experience of the world is going to be extremely different Mm -hmm. to, you know, other permutations of identity Mm -hmm. and to recognize that. Mm -hmm. But there are problems with the term, too. Is there anything that troubles you about it? Yeah, I mean, um, we've talked a bit about the idea that those who face internalized oppression are pitted as violent or um, that this idea that society has ingrained these these feelings of internalized oppression have then spawned more violence and created even more negatively portrayed individuals. So it's almost like this compounding double-down effect where initially these groups are policed by society, then the self-policing happens, and then when members of society recognize this idea of internalized oppression, they then weaponize it against that person. So it's there there are many layers to it. And I think mm. that that recognition of the term can also be used negatively in that way. Yeah, so there might be this idea that you recognize somebody's experienced internalized oppression, but there might be this myth that you then have to be very wary of them mm-hmm. because who knows what they might do in this kind of cultural mythology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one example of that, as we've talked about, is how, you know, in 2016, well, there was a terrible nightclub shooting mm-hmm. in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. About 50 people were killed. Over 50 people were injured. And in the aftermath of that there was a narrative that started to emerge about the shooter Mm -hmm. and rumors started to circulate that perhaps this was actually a man who was actually a a repressed gay man Mm -hmm. and that was why he'd gone and done the shooting. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's very unclear 
there was a kind of a feeling that the media jumped to conclusions about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The point is that the media wanted to latch on to this narrative right. that internalized oppression had created this shooting. And there were, you know, there were lots of complex reasons right. around it. Mm-hmm. But they particularly wanted to hold on to this narrative. Right, absolutely. And I think that, that that's kind of where things can start to diverge because there's this one idea that these groups who are in, internalized or facing internalized oppression are then violent. But then there's another view of it where with the pulse shooting, there were other narratives going around about the idea that this internalized oppression in some way justified the act of the nightclub shooting. Mm, yeah. And that's worrying. And I, I know that you have strong feelings about recent events with Kevin Spacey, too, and the statement he made on Twitter, mm-hmm. which seemed to suggest that it was internalized oppression, which, you know, has uh, precipitated a lot of the sexual harassment that he's been accused of mm-hmm. and, and seemed to ask for our sympathy. So mm-hmm. what, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, um, when that was coming out, I was I was reading a lot about it. And it's it's interesting how empathy is kind of being used to justify these actions and a, a term that in its purest sense can be used to recognize um, this self-policing is then being flipped on its head to kind of use the idea of oppression as justification for other violent actions. And it's it's really upsetting to see that type of thing happen, especially with the case of Kevin Spacey. And it seems to perpetuate this idea, too, that actually people who experience internalized oppression are dangerous, you know, this mythology. And you have to ask, who's benefiting from this? Is it just another way of perpetuating, you know, stigma or or bigotry about LGBT communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very complicated. And I think that there, there are almost like two pathways when you recognize that internalized oppression is a root or that it could be a root of behavior. There's the idea that these people who are facing internalized oppression are inherently violent because of this internalized oppression. And then there's the other idea that there needs to be empathy for people facing internalized um, oppression, which I, I certainly believe that there needs to be empathy for people facing internalized uh, oppression. But then it becomes um, more complex when that empathy is being used to justify other acts of violence. So I think that the term standing alone is a very positive thing to understand and recognize throughout society. But then again, as we've talked about, it, it becomes complicated when violence comes into play and violence and internalized oppression kind of meet at that border. So like many of the terms that we've talked about or are going to talk about, internalized oppression has a certain kind of usefulness. But on the other hand, I think you, ha- you have to use it with an awareness of its complexity and some of the problems which are attached to it, the baggage that it carries with it, and just be careful about that. <laughs> Absolutely.